Hi guys, welcome back to the Earthy Delights podcast. We hope you are keeping well. Uh, today we have a very special guest on, uh, and his name is Kadam Adam Starr, uh, and he's the resident teacher of Tara Kadampa Meditation Centre in Dublin. Originally from Dublin, Adam got caught up in the corporate world in London, where, but where he also discovered Buddhism before he started teaching in the UK and in Europe. He later returned home to Ireland, where he now teaches extensively throughout the country, as well as internationally. And he has been a true gentleman by giving us some of his time to talk about his experience and his Buddhist learnings. So thank you, Adam, for coming on. How are we doing? Very well, Seb. Thank you. And, and very nice to be with you and Jim today. Good nice stuff. Good stuff. Jim, do you, want to, do you want to start off with your first question? Yeah, Adam, uh, do you mind just telling us a bit about yourself in terms of uh, your journey, for those who aren't familiar, uh, kind of how, uh, why you left Ireland initially, and then what brought you or what attracted you towards Buddhism initially and then subsequently why did you leave your job in London and pursue Buddhism more seriously? Sure, yeah. Um, so I I originally left Ireland in uh, 1989 and around that time a lot of us were, uh, the younger generation, a lot of us were leaving in those days and so due to the kind of find that economic situation in Ireland. So I left and I, I went to London um, and basically I got into the corporate world and uh, met kind of uh, meditation, particularly meditation within the Buddhist meditation tradition around the kind of mid to late 90s. And um, from there, basically, you know, I got in practicing meditation within the Kadampa Buddhist tradition, which I now teach and practice within. Uh, for yeah for some years and then basically I got to my mid-30s and decided to take a little break from my corporate career everything was going fine uh, there wasn't any major issue I just thought I'd take maybe a year or two out and just go a little bit deeper into Buddhist meditation and practice and so I went to live uh, in the countryside uh, at a Buddhist meditation retreat center in college and I just started to study for a little while on this little break um, anyway <laughs> I was supposed to be on a little break and then it became a much longer break. And 15 years later, I'm still on the break. Um, and just, I just got into, started teaching a bit. I'd already been teaching a little bit in London, uh, meditation and Buddhism. And then I just started teaching a little bit more on this break. And then it just became a lot more. And then the last 15 years, I've basically been teaching throughout the UK. And then I moved to uh, Denmark where I taught in Copenhagen and in the Nordic countries for a few years. And then I just came back to Ireland in 2017 um, and started teaching here at Tara Kadampa Meditation Centre, which is based in Dublin with uh, branches around Ireland. And so, yes, since 2017, I've just been back home teaching. So, yeah, that's kind of my journey to now. Perfect stuff. Adam, could I just... Should we just bring it all the way back to um, just basically get the layman terms on what Buddhism is, its origins and what it means to you, just so that, you know, for some of us who maybe are listening, you know, my, my, myself, I'm not exactly an expert in it. And uh, just that we all start off on the same foundation. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, Buddhism, basically, it's, it's, it's essentially it's a it's a way of life. It's basically learning to discover the potential that everyone has within them for peace happiness and good qualities and through training and meditation and integrating the teachings that Buddha taught known as the Dharma into your heart you learn to really begin to actualize that potential for peace for happiness for good qualities like wisdom and compassion 
And then the goal really is to continually improve um, your peace of mind and continually improve your happiness and good qualities so that you can be of increasing benefit to a troubled world, basically, and to people who, uh, yeah, in, in many different ways. So Buddhism really is about discovering the innate potential that everyone has within them for peace, mm. for happiness, for good qualities, and using these time-honored practices of meditation, being more mindful throughout your day and your life, to cultivate those qualities continually so that you're continually improving yourself uh, for the benefit of others. And ultimately, the goal of every Buddhist within the Mahayana Buddhist tradition, which is the tradition I practice within, uh, or the school of Buddhism I practice within, is to attain enlightenment, <laughs> to fully actualize your highest potential. And and uh, at least for, for the vast majority of people who are beginning with that journey, it's really just about improving your peace, your happiness, your good qualities and using that in some way to be of more benefit to the world. Mm. That's a kind of simple kind of understanding of it. <laughs> no, you did well to <laughs> summarize it all. <laughs> and Adam, what, what do you think are common misconceptions surrounding Buddhism? Well, I think, uh, well, there are a number. I think often people think that Buddhists kind of sit in a Buddhist monastery, uh, just kind of sitting, meditating all day, and that's all they do. And, uh, you know, you have to be a monk or a nun to be a Buddhist practitioner. Uh, none of that's actually true. Buddhism nowadays is very much practiced by people with normal families and normal lives, uh, doing all the things you and I do and just um, integrating those trainings into their normal daily life. And so that's one of the misconceptions is people think all you do is sitting around staring at your navel all day, which isn't actually true at all. A big part of the Buddhist way of life is definitely meditation. So you know, um, you know, uh, depending on the individual, but at least we do one long session in the morning and then maybe you'll do some more in the evening. Um, and there are times and periods in your life where you do focused meditation retreats, maybe for like a weekend or a few weeks or even a few months or a few years. Um, but that, that that's one misconception. You have to be a monk or a nun. Uh, the other misconception, I think, is that people think that Buddha just said everything is suffering. He didn't actually say that. He basically said, at the moment, our experience of suffering is quite normal. Uh, suffering and pain is quite normal. It's not unusual at all. Um, but what he, he said that within the context that we can become free of suffering when you really understand the nature of suffering and how you can transcend that suffering. And um, so... Often people think that Buddha talked a lot about suffering. He didn't uh, talk about it outside of context. So he talked about it in the context of we can all become increasingly free of the suffering that we experience through training in the Buddhist path. Um, so I think that's a couple of the misconceptions. Um, yeah. Perfect. Adam, it's funny that you bring up the suffering because it's one of the things that um, I'm most intrigued about maybe i think simply because i don't really understand the the viewpoint exactly um i kind of read that uh the buddhists kind of mantras that maybe we should be more comfortable with suffering um and you know, it comes to that realization that at life, in life we all will suffer at some point um and that maybe suffering is internalized to some extent is that is that correct yeah exactly seb i mean there's there's a few different ways of understanding it one is and basically what Buddha said is in, in his, in his famous, uh, teaching, the Four Noble Truths, he said, you should know suffering. And what he meant is you should know that suffering will continue 
in life after life unless you do something about it in this life. Unless you start to become free of the causes of suffering, suffering will continue. But even on a practical down-to-earth level, we know that, don't we? That, you know, unless you do something about, let's say, your mental suffering, unless you actually engage in a process where you're learning how to be more mindful, to be more at peace with things, nothing's going to change. In fact, it can very easily get worse, as a lot of people are discovering in this current coronavirus situation. They're realizing how unprepared they were for this, not only physically, but also mentally, because a lot of people are struggling with this and understandably so at the moment mentally. So what Buddha said is you should know suffering. And what he was saying is suffering will just continue life after life unless you do something about it in this life. But another aspect of that to understand is we should also know what suffering is. And there's a lot of confusion of what exactly is suffering. And so Buddha's uh, definition of suffering or the Buddhist understanding of suffering. Suffering is just simply an unpleasant feeling in the mind. That's what suffering actually is. Now, that unpleasant feeling can sound quite polite when you put it like that, but it can be mm. unbelievably intense and painful, or it can be relatively mind or, yet, or mild and yet still painful. So when Buddha was saying, you know, to understand the nature of suffering, it's, it's, it's an experience in the mind. So for example, if I'm facing a difficult situation in my life, let's say there's like this coronavirus situation, but I'm able to be at peace with, accept and work through that situation, then for me, my mind's at peace and therefore I'm not suffering. However, another right. person can get ill and feel very overwhelmed with that situation. And then their suffering is far more intense because that unpleasant feeling in the mind gets out of control. And so you feel very stuck in your suffering. So, when we understand suffering from a Buddhist point of view, you understand, and again, this is something, it's not like some kind of dogmatic statement on life, it's just simply an invitation for people to explore for themselves, that even if I face a difficult situation out there, if I can be at peace with that situation and accept and work with it, I'm not suffering. For me, it's not a suffering experience. Yet if I can't be at peace and I can't accept that situation, for me, it's a particularly unpleasant and suffering experience. So... When you understand the nature of suffering being this unpleasant feeling in the mind, then you start to think, so maybe there's a possibility to become free from suffering because the suffering's coming from my mind, not from out there. And then mm. what you discover is the cause of suffering is what Buddha called the delusion. These are just basically distorted and disturbing states of mind, such as anger, greed, hatred, ignorance. And when those causes of uh, suffering are purified within your mind, when you begin to learn how to recognize reduce and abandon them then your suffering begins to significantly diminish and eventually the goal is to completely abandon all delusions from the mind so that the mind is at peace and therefore there's no suffering so that's kind of like the buddhist understanding of suffering ah okay um it's funny because when i when i first read this um you know on this podcast we talked to people with many different um you know issues or hard experiences that they've, they've gone through in their lifetime and when i read that it was in you know suffering was internalized and i had this uh visceral reaction which was you know well what about people who you know are sexual um sexual abuse victims or cancer patients you know things that have just happened to them through no kind of fault of their own and obviously you, i mean you've partly explained um uh, that, you know how that isn't their fault and how they can ha help deal with that problem but have you worked specifically with people you know who maybe have been um you know abuse victims or like i said cancer patients or something like that to help them kind of see that what they're what 
you know, whilst that one action that happened to them, or maybe a sequence of actions happened, it's now their ability to kind of let that go into the past and kind of move on with their life and, and stop the suffering internally. Have you worked with those types of people? Yeah, many times I've met many people in similar in the situations you're talking about. And I suppose the first thing to understand is the whole kind of essence of the Buddha's teachings and the Buddhist way of life is compassion. And so understanding that nobody's ever to blame for their suffering. It's really important. Often people twist the teachings on karma to say, well, you created the karma for it, so it's your fault. But that's actually not the teaching on karma. The teaching on karma is just the teaching on cause and effect. Certain causes give rise to certain effects. However, the teaching on karma is never a judgment of anyone. It's just saying this is how things happen. And that's why we can change if we understand um, a, a negative state of mind will create a negative effect at some point in your life. A positive state of mind will create a positive uh, effect at some point in your life. Mm. And everyone is creating negative and positive karma all day long. There is no judgment implicit within that. The whole point of the teaching on karma was to say, hey, we can become free from suffering, though, because if the cause of suffering is negative karma. We can purify that negative karma. The cause of happiness is positive karma. We can create positive karma. So when people say, you know, uh, I don't know, there's some judgment within uh, the Buddha's teaching on someone's suffering, it's not. But it just simply tried to point out this is how it happens. This is mm-hmm. what happens. And therefore, you can understand how you can become free of it. So let's say somebody who was sexually abused. From a Buddhist point of view, we would never say that is anyone's fault ever. And that per- that person, the suffering they experience uh, in that moment or in that period of their life, um, uh, that suffering at that time, um, from a Buddhist point of view, the worst suffering is the suffering that's coming from the mind and the torment of that particular experience. Now, for when somebody moves on from that particular period in their life, they still carry a lot of that suffering in their hearts. And so mm. what Buddhist meditation teaches you is to Learn how to find some peace within your own heart, a refuge in a peaceful mind that enables you over time to begin to now explore that path and start to unpack it so that you can become free of it and free of the suffering of carrying those memories and those thoughts and those feelings for years and years and years. And Buddhist meditation is about healing that uh, pain that that, that you're carrying in your heart. And so there's no implicit judgment within it or somebody who's suffering from cancer these things are all happening. That's the whole point. They're all happening anyway. But the the dialogue I suppose we need to have in the world is so what's the solution to it? So how does someone suffering from cancer learn to be at peace with the cancer they're experiencing? And so within Buddhist meditation, there's a lot of various different teachings and meditations that can help you to reduce the mental suffering so you can deal with the physical uh, condition a lot better. And so mm. we'd never say somebody's to blame for their cancer. Um, this is just the nature, what Buddha calls samsara, which is suffering and problems are normal. And we know that anyway. You know, we know suffering yeah. and problems are normal because we don't know anybody who doesn't suffer and hasn't had problems. What Buddha really focused on is, if that's normal, is there a solution? Yes, there is, when you know that suffering is coming from the mind. And so the real suffering in a, in a situation where you're riddled with cancer is the complete feeling of overwhelm of that situation. And even from the point of view of understanding uh, the nature of painful feelings, even physical painful feelings, when you understand a feeling is not separate from mind, and actually even physical pain has its its root within the mind, then you start to understand how you can become free even from physical pain. 
And so, so what I'm saying is there's deeper understandings each time. But I know, for example, there's a friend of mine when I was in my early 30s and she was as well and she got cancer and died shortly afterwards. But I remember that she'd been meditating for quite some years and I remember how she dealt with it. She just had this real ability and capacity through her practice to really be at peace with and accept the reality that she was facing, knowing that that's not um, an unusual thing to happen where somebody gets cancer and somebody dies because, as I say, suffering and problems are normal. She was able to really work with that and find a lot of peace with it. Yet there are other people who have uh, illnesses that aren't so intense that experience terrible mental pain and suffering. So the idea is not to make a judgment of anyone's suffering, but just to see that there are solutions to that. We can actually reduce the suffering. And even if we don't understand it fully, at least we can say we can reduce the mental suffering that we experience when we face mm. these difficult situations. Thanks for that, Adam. Um, well, comes to my, I know a lot personally of my own suffering kind of comes from a place where like maybe I feel like I'm not good enough and that if I do certain things or live in a certain way that maybe that, that will change. Uh, do you have many people coming to the center with similar issues and how do you help them along with this? Yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, I'm sure you know, Jim, it's, it's kind of like a, a very pervasive often unexpressed and undiscussed thing that a lot of people carry around, which is feelings of being not good enough or inadequate, or maybe carrying around feelings of hurt for a very long time in their hearts and never really processing any of that. So basically the challenge is then we're always trying to be better. We're always wanting to be better because we feel we're intrinsically not good enough. However, even when we do things that are somewhat, you know, you know somewhat, huge like maybe we you know we do some kind of really successful project and stuff and everybody's saying you know you're so good at that still in our hearts we never feel we're really good enough so if i can just explain where that kind of comes from yeah basically we all we all carry that in our hearts these various thoughts and feelings about ourselves and about life but largely we don't really examine that much so what happens is at some point in our life, we become familiar with these thoughts and feelings of not being good enough. Maybe, you know, something happened when we were young or maybe just, you know, when we were a teenager and we felt quite insecure. And then what happens is we become familiar with these thoughts and feelings of not being good enough. And then what happens is we're not really ever processing that. We're just becoming more familiar with it. And at some point, we just start to grasp at that sense of self as this is me, believing this really is who I am. And then over time, we start to establish our self-identity on the basis of these thoughts and feelings that we now feel so familiar with. And of course, because of that, then everything that we're doing is coming from that sense of self, that perspective on ourselves. Now, this sense of self, we're largely unaware of. It's what I would call below the line. You know, you've maybe heard this analogy before of above the line and below the line. Above the line is, for example, all the thoughts and feelings you're familiar with. Like, I'm thinking I need to go to the shop. I'm thinking I need to do this project. I'm thinking I need to buy this thing in the shop. But what's below the line is really our sense of self. We're really not very familiar with how we're relating to ourselves as we have all these thoughts and feelings. So what happens is we become very familiar with this sense of a limited sense of self and an idea of ourselves that feels quite not good enough then we start to live our life from that perspective. So we're constantly trying to serve and protect this limited sense of self. So we're constantly trying to be better. So one day we feel we're not good enough. 
But because we're so deeply identified with this sense of self and we feel this is intrinsically who we are or inherently who we are by nature, we never actually feel good enough. So no matter how successful you are, you never really feel you've done enough. And then often when people say criticize us or, you know, people don't appreciate what we do, we feel even worse because we feel they're just reinforcing what I always really knew to be true. Now, the danger with that is you live your whole life from that perspective, believing in some way that's true. And this view of ourselves is largely unconscious, meaning we're not necessarily consciously aware of it in every moment. And it's largely unquestioned. And what Buddha taught is if you check, really those thoughts and feelings you have about yourself are simply thoughts and feelings. They're not actually who you are. But because we're so familiar with them, at some point we begin to believe they're true. They're just stories we tell ourselves about ourselves so often we actually start to feel they're true. But in reality, they're just stories and they're just thoughts and feelings. Now, in Buddhist meditation, what you do is you begin to unpack that sense of self and you realize that solid sense of self that I've been so identified with for so long isn't actually who I am. They're just thoughts and feelings I've got very familiar with and grasped that to be true. And then you begin to release that and let that go. And then what you discover is something extraordinary about our nature which is in truth we're our nature is pure potential we have the potential for peace for happiness for good qualities this is our true potential our true nature and that's the journey within buddhist practice is discovering this ordinary limited sense of self that seems to be driving all my thoughts and feelings and actions all day long is not really who i am it's just thoughts and feelings i've become so familiar with i begin to believe they're true but as we unpack it in meditation, we begin to let it go. We start to become free of it. And then we have this whole new perspective. We start to see our potential. And we start to realize we've always had this extraordinary potential within us. And so you can see it playing out a lot. Um, you know, I remember this story of Robbie Williams saying when he, I think he played Slaying Castle some years ago. And he said, I walked out in front of 80,000 people screaming my name, you know, when he was at the height of his success. And he said, I walked out and there was all these people screaming my name and just, you know, absolutely adore me. And he said, I've never felt so depressed. I've never felt so depressed because deep down, no matter how amazing people tell you what you are, if you're holding on to this deep sense of I'm not good enough, you just feel, I doesn't make a difference what anybody tells me. I'm still not good enough. So the problem with that is you never feel like you're getting where you need to get. Like even if you're constantly trying to improve yourself, you never quite feel you've got there. So a lot of people carry this in their heart. And then what they do is it just becomes the kind of basis upon which they live their life. But the, the hopeful message that is contained within Buddhist teachings is you can see there is no fixed self. You can actually begin to see there's no fixed self. There never was a fixed self. There's only a you or me changing moment by moment independent upon what we think and feel. So as we begin to change our thoughts and our feelings and begin to see things with more wisdom and more compassion, we begin to move beyond those limiting perspectives. We begin to relate to the truth of our pure potential. And then you start to realize I can become whoever I want to be and so can everyone else. And so there's always hope for humanity. We're not these ordinary limited people that we seem to believe we really are. In fact, we're full of potential. And all of Buddhist teachings and all of the Buddhist meditation practice help you to fully actualize that pure potential to become that more loving, compassionate, kind, fearless and so forth person that we all would prefer to be. Um, and so that's kind of the journey it, explained in a practical way, at least. That's great. Thanks, Adam. 
I, I keep, you kept on coming back to the, the limited sense of self. Do you think that often we kind of cul-de-sac ourselves by our identity? Yeah, we're continually yeah. cul-de-sacking ourselves, Jim, by our identity. Again, the thing, Jim, is with this sense of self that we relate to, the self-identity that we're so wedded to, is that we largely don't see that. So what happens is we have this tendency by grasping at that sense of self to really focus on serving and protecting that self. So, for example, if I'm holding on to feelings of I'm not good enough or maybe I'm holding on to some sense of self that feels deeply hurt or deeply victimized, what happens is we then eventually start to get this tendency to try and protect ourselves from any further suffering or problems. So we avoid people who will challenge us and tell us the work you did today wasn't good enough because what we hear when they say that is you're not good enough. So we don't we don't like constructive criticism. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah, feel very yeah. constructive to us. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and so what happens is we're constantly looking for people who'll tell us we're fantastic. You know, so we we surround ourselves by people who just continually say, you know, you're the best, you're the best. But deep down, we never feel we really are. But it just temporarily pacifies us. So what happens is you do end up in this cul-de-sac, Jim, where you eventually start to feel your life is quite limited. You know, you're not willing to challenge yourself much because you don't really think you can be any better than you really are because you feel deep down you're not good enough. You're avoiding difficult people who make you feel worse and not good enough. You try to surround yourself with sycophants who tell you you're amazing. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to an extreme here, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And what happens is in this wish to protect yourself from feeling overwhelmed, what happens is we just feel increasingly small and overwhelmed. It's not actually protecting us, which is a real shame because it, it simply cuts off our opportunity to really unpack and process those various thoughts and beliefs we have about ourselves, let them go, and then actually start to see, actually, I've got incredible potential. All, everyone has incredible potential within them. But we can't begin to really develop confidence in that credible potential unless we start to let go of these limiting beliefs and so forth. It's a... Uh... It's funny, you, th- this resonates with me a lot because even me and Seb had a conversation yesterday and Seb, yeah. <laughs> Seb was talking about how he strongly identifies as being multilingual and that, for instance, if somebody speaks to him in Italian and then maybe he makes a small mistake in Italian or he, he feels certain pressure because he sees himself as this multilinguist. And I was, I was suggesting to Seb that maybe he's kind of initiating some suffering on himself. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's true because what happens is, so in the way that Buddha described it, if we're coming from this limited sense of self, which we all do, we're, we're not necessarily, it's not always very obvious. So, so for a lot of people, they may seem like they're really confident and they're full of kind of, uh, yeah, confidence. But deep down, we're all holding on to some sense of limitation, which is causing so much of our suffering. Um, and so what happens is, to, co- to compensate for that, we look for anything that will indicate that we are good enough, for example. So let me say, you know, like if I can play piano or if I can play guitar or, you know, you're, you, you can speak many different languages. Our ordinary limited sense of self will really grasp at that as a way to make me feel better. And so we start to think, develop this kind of what Buddha called deluded pride, which is like we inflate ourselves to make ourselves feel better. The only problem is when anybody uh, 
kind of challenges that we experience, as you say, Jim, some suffering because, you know, they say pride comes before a fall. And so when we're identifying with these qualities as if this makes me better than I feel most of the time, what happens is if somebody challenges us, we start to feel that suffering of somebody saying, oh, you're not that good at the piano, you're not that good at the guitar, you know. And then, and so what happens is we go back to this not feeling good enough. So it doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, acknowledge and appreciate the good qualities we have. Like if you're, if you can speak many different languages, that's fantastic. Or you can uh, play the piano or the guitar, that's fantastic. Just what we want to do is avoid establishing some sense of protection around this not good enough self on the basis of those qualities, because as soon as they're challenged, we'll start to feel, oh yeah, well, I'm not, I'm useless and things like that yeah it's funny um like i've got you just saying that uh now i've got like a knot in my stomach because i feel like you've spoken <laughs> to my soul um but yeah it's, it's funny because it's 100 when you say it like that I, didn't, I hadn't thought of it before but when you say it like that i completely agree because there's comfort in knowing um that you're good at something or maybe that you stand you know when you have such a um this this image of yourself and your ego so it's, it's well definitely your ego and then you find that there is something that can help you kind of stick out from the crowd then you kind of, well, at least for me anyway, then I feel like there's this pressure now. You know, I saw, you know, Jim's girlfriend is Italian, full Italian, and I'm half. So I speak good Italian, but I don't speak perfect. And I was saying, you know, if I spoke to her, I would feel a pressure that she, that I'd have to speak perfect Italian for me to uphold my own image of this multilinguist. And if I made a mistake, I'd feel like a um, kind of imposter syndrome, you know, like a fraud. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when you said that, I was like, Jesus, I feel like you're talking straight to me here. But I think the good thing is that it's like this balance where you kind of, and this is the thing, it's like you have two ways of living, basically. We either relate to an ordinary limited sense of self, and we just stay stuck in that for the rest of our life, constantly trying to accommodate it, compensate for it, or we start to see that actually that sense of self, as you describe it, the ego idea of who we are, you start to see through that and actually see actually that isn't really me it's just a lot of thoughts and feelings and ideas that I've become familiar with you either Mm. stay stuck in that or you start to unpack that let it go become free of it and then the other way to relate to yourself as I say is you start to step into this experience of the truth of the pure potential that we all have the potential we all have for peace for happiness for good qualities so there's two ways of relating to yourself ordinary limited and stuck or I'm full of delusions I'm full of uh, you know, uh, distorted views, but I have the potential to change. And when you start to relate to yourself that way, what happens mm. is when you're relating to your pure potential, you can appreciate that, like, you're very good at languages or generally, uh, you know, you're good at certain skills and talent. However, you also realize that it's okay if somebody says, you know, you're not great at Italian today. You're just like, whatever, because I'm not coming from that ordinary sense itself that needs to hear that I'm good enough to make me feel good enough and never really feel that great. So instead, if you're relating to your pure potential and somebody says, you know, your Italian was pretty rubbish today, you just think, fantastic, thanks for that, because I need to learn how to improve my Italian. And so if what they say to you is true, then you accept it and you say, yeah, that's great, thanks, it'll help me learn. And if what they say to you isn't true, you just ignore it. But you're not caught up in this kind of ordinary, limited sense of self that really needs to hear it to feel validated. You're just relating to this potential to change to grow to evolve and you want to hear constructive criticism and you don't mind if you hear false criticism you just don't care either way because your whole sense of self isn't craving that 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 praise 
Yeah, even for myself, Adam, I've noticed that uh, I've probably been meditating on a regular basis, maybe 18 months. And I've noticed I'm kind of, um, the best way I can put it is that like I'm wearing my personality a little lighter, you know, like, um, like I hear new information that previously maybe I would jump or react to, but now I think, oh, okay, uh, could be. And, and like you said, okay, do I think this is true? Oh, thank you. If not, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to give it, like, give it any more time. Yeah, uh, and, and I was, I was going to ask, um, do you think that a lot of this, like this, um, a lot of arguments that we have stem from this kind of, uh, fixed idea of no, like I, I believe this to be me or I believe this to be right and you're wrong because, sorry, because yeah, I, I so, because I, I thought I read in an interview that you haven't had a, a fight with your partner in 10 years or something. <laughs> you could have taught my parents a thing or two, Adam. <laughs> I, I think it's it's a good point that you bring up, Jim, because I would say, and this is something for your listeners and for us three to, to contemplate, me included, for the rest of our lives, is I would say all, not just I would say, but Buddha would say all arguments are based on that ordinary limited sense itself because what happens is every single thing that goes on in our life is being determined or shaped by that relationship we have to ourselves. or this relationship we have to this sense of self as i say it's not who we really are it's just thoughts and ideas that we get really grasped that to be true so if for example i'm holding on to some kind of hurt sense of self or a sense of self that feels not good enough and you challenge my view in any way, that will hurt, that will stab, as Seb says, it's like a, a knot in your stomach or a kick in your heart. It's like what you feel is this pain of being challenged, this sense of self being challenged and not being able to deal with it. So I can't deal with it from this perspective, this ordinary limited self. And so what you do is when somebody says something hurtful to you and you feel more hurt, you just push the pain back out. Uh, you know, anger and, um, you know, our argument is just pain pushed back out. We're holding on to a painful sense of self. And when somebody says something that makes us feel more pain, we just grasp at that and we just push it back out at them. And then we say something horrible or whatever it is. So I think what you were saying earlier on, Jim, is really insightful as well, because what meditators discover by just sitting to meditate every day is that you just sit and you're just even doing a simple breathing meditation. What happens is, that whole sense of this very solid sense of me that's ordinary, limited, and stuck, it just begins to dissolve because that sense of self is just thoughts and feelings that you're familiar with. When you disengage from all of them, you access this natural peace within you. This is what meditators have discovered since Buddha's time. is You can access a natural source of peace and happiness and good qualities in your heart. Buddha called this our true self. He called this our Buddha nature. So the analogy, you've probably heard this yourselves, maybe, the analogy that's often given is it's like a gold nugget in mud. So the mud is our ordinary sense of self and our ordinary beliefs and limitations, feeling we're never good enough, feeling we're hurt. That mud is what we're very familiar with, those thoughts and feelings. But what Buddha mm -hmm. described is our true nature is like a gold nugget in that mud. That gold nugget is naturally peaceful, naturally joyful, Good qualities like love and compassion and wisdom, they're all quite natural to our hearts. However, because we're so deeply identified with the mud, we never really experience much of the gold. We get little glimpses of it now and again where we're a little bit peaceful and positive. 
Now, when you sit and meditate, what happens is the mud just dissolves away a bit and you start to feel a bit of the gold of your Buddha nature, which is this natural peace and this natural goodness in your heart. And then you start to realize, actually, that gold is my true nature. And this mud is just temporary ideas and beliefs that I'm too familiar with. And the familiarity is now beginning to experience this gold, this uh, peaceful mind and good heart of your own Buddha nature. And you start to live more and more from that and cultivate that. And so eventually you just dissolve away all the mud and you're just living from that peaceful mind and good heart and that sense of pure potential to change, to grow and so forth. So I suppose that's a really important aspect of this because then if somebody, uh, you know, says something a bit unskillful, <laughs> you get a little bit upset, you can just feel the mud harden a bit. But when mm. you start to know it's just mud, it's not me, I don't need to identify with all of this and you just relax your mind you'll immediately access that natural peace and goodness within you. And then you can respond a lot more constructively and a lot more uh, openly and honestly. And I know I know the article you're talking about, Jim, I think it's that article I did with Neve and the Independent. And what I, actually, what I actually said is not that we haven't disagreed, because we have disagreed many times, but disagreement doesn't need to lead to anger. I don't know why yeah. we always think that. We have to get yeah. angry with people. We don't, you know, it's a, a constantly agreeing with everybody. It's not really, that's usually coming from limitation as well. You know, I'm constantly agreeing with everybody because I don't want them to disagree with me and make me feel worse again. The disagreeing with people is perfectly fine. You know, it's perfectly fine to not agree with everything they say, but the anger is coming from when we start to identify with the mud, get upset and then lash out at them as opposed to, I don't agree with you, uh, but I love you. <laughs> We don't have to have an argument, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, Adam, talking about that, it's um, it ties in perfectly with the question I was going to ask, which is about anger. It's one of the um, kind of the mantras of Buddhism, my limited knowledge that I kind of most abide to. Is that something that with compassion, we can kind of um, maybe decrease the amount of anger that there is in the world, but then if you show it back, uh, then you're actually, all you're doing is you're just creating more and it's just this snowball effect. And I think maybe the thing that most, where that's most evident is, you know, breakups or divorces where a relationship that was once filled with love is now, it just seems like the overarching feeler is always anger. And, um, I was wondering, is there any way that we can, uh, you know, a practical viable way in our day-to-day -day life that we can kind of, uh, reconnect with that compassion. And so then if someone's rude to you, um, you know, a supermarket, whatever it may be, you, you might just think, well, you know, she's got a boss who I'm sure maybe not, might not be good to her or is having a bad day. Is there a way that we can reconnect with that compassion um, that you know of? Yeah, well, I, just, I think the first thing, Seb, is to say is when we're talking about this Buddha nature that I was talking about, that basically is the essential nature of humanity. Our essential nature is peaceful our essential nature is compassion. Our essential nature is love and kindness and so forth. However, for most people, that isn't their normal experience of their mind and their normal experience of themselves. That's not to say that it's not natural. It's just not normal because our mind's caught up in a lot of agitation, distraction, stress, fear, anxiety, creating turbulence in the mind. However, what's important to understand is how can we get back to that compassionate uh, perspective and that compassionate way of living? The first thing to understand is compassion is no, natural to the human heart. This quality of compassion is innate and indestructible within humanity. This is Buddha's teaching. And so you can discover that through yourself by just simply allowing yourself to settle your mind, relax into that natural peace within your heart. And then notice that the more peaceful your mind is, a bit like Jim was saying, 
you'll start to feel like this sense of ordinary limited sense of self dissolves, but also you'll just start to feel more open to others. We all know this mm. anyway, you know, when are you at your most loving? It's when you're most relaxed. And when are you at your least loving and compassionate? It's when you're least relaxed, when your mind's out of yeah. balance. So, so the first thing to understand is that compassion is an essential part of human nature. We all have that potential. We all actually have a limitless potential for compassion within us. However, the problem with the anger thing is we often feel like if I don't get angry at all this injustice in the world, who's going to do anything about it? But mm. the thing is, it's a bit like you're saying, Seb, getting angry with all the anger in the world doesn't reduce the anger in the world. It just adds no. to the problem. It just adds huh. to the problem. It's just one angry person getting angry with another angry person about them being angry. And how's that helping? But the, the main point to understand is Anger helps no one. It, it doesn't lead to any good results for anyone. Because anger is really just a distorted mind. It's basically a distorted perspective. So, for example, when we're getting angry with our partner, at the time when we're angry, if you look at what we see, what we see is that person at that, po at that moment in time, just in that moment in time, they seem to be like the worst person in the world. And we even say that, you're the worst partner in the world. I can't believe mm. I ever got together with you. Why are we still together? When you're angry, they seem like the, the worst person in the whole world. Of course, when the anger dissolves and settles down a bit and you start to realize, oh, goodness. And then you say to them, you know, I'm really sorry. I don't know what got into me. You're now perceiving them very different. You're perceiving that someone that you love and so forth. And mm. what's going on there is what happens with anger is we fixate on the faults of someone or something until we start to grasp at this idea in our mind that they are inherently from their side faulty, nothing to do with my angry mind. And then we start to feel like this person is faulty. And then what we do is we want to lash out in some way, either say something or just give them a look because we feel that they're causing our pain. Now, the difference with compassion is compassion sees the same problems in the world. As, as you we see any time, they see the same mm. problem, but compassion is focused on reducing the suffering in the world. Anger is just a mind that wishes to harm. We want to do something or say something to harm someone. And this is where yeah. I think Buddhist psychology is just so precise. It's like, because we talk about anger as if it's a good thing, it's a virtuous thing to be angry because then we can fight all the injustice in the world. But you want to be first clear as to what you're talking about when you're talking about anger, because anger is just a mind that sees someone or something as inherently faulty and wants to harm them. That's the mind of anger. Now, the mind of compassion sees the injustice in the world, but the mind of compassion is passionately focused on reducing suffering and its causes within the world, not adding to it. So it's not that you wouldn't challenge someone. It's not that you wouldn't challenge injustice. You would challenge it, especially if it's causing suffering to people. But you're challenging from that mind of compassion. So compassion is a much more balanced, peaceful and positive mind, whereas anger is just an out of control, overwhelmed, suffering mind. And so it's moving from this, this angry response to the problems we see in the world to decide and the best way to really help reduce the suffering in the world is not getting angry about it. It's developing the compassion that wants to do something about it. Because anger is yeah. just saying, you know, it's your fault, basically. That's what anger is saying. <laughs> do something <laughs> about it. It's your fault. Compassion is saying, it's just suffering. Let's do something about it. Let's not just sit around and blame everyone else. Let's actually do something. And then we can have a dialogue in society on the basis of compassion, not just constantly getting angry with each other, which is what's happening in our political sphere, especially in some countries where 
you know, I just think of the States and it's so partisan these days, you know, it's just like yeah. basically angry people getting angry with angry people and not having a discussion about anything, as opposed to the compassion that wants to actually do something about the suffering in the world in a positive, constructive way, knowing that everyone's suffering one way or another, everyone's suffering from something. Yeah, um, what comes to mind when you say this, Adam, is I was watching an interview with uh, Michael Singer. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, it sounds familiar a little bit. Uh, M- Michael Singer is a American kind of uh, enigma in that he was doing his master's. Uh, oh no, he's doing his PhD in economics, and then all of a sudden he came fascinated with the mind and f- dropped out of his PhD, and then just kind of wanted to pursue this fascination with the mind and the relationship with the mind. But uh, he um, wrote these two two very interesting books. But in the interview. Um, a lot of people come to him because he's he's saying a, a lot of what you're saying, and in the he interview he mentions how people come up to him and say, "No, no, sorry, I mean anger is how I get my work done. I mean without this <laughs> anger, I mean I, I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that." And then he goes, "Okay, well, have you ever loved somebody? And then do you remember what you would do for that person, to the person that you loved? And would you say that that is stronger?" <laughs> or at least akin to the feeling uh, or the energetic level you get through anger. And then it kind of, um, uh, how can I say, reevaluated things for me anyway, because I hear that a lot, you know, I hear like anger as a justification for getting good work done, you know, when. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Jim, because the, the, the challenge with this is basically these are the, habits of mind that we're most familiar with so uh but it, you know the three principal delusions these distorted states of mind that we're all deeply familiar with but it's described as anger attachment which is that kind of craving for something out there that's going to make me happy in here and and, and ignorance he said anger and attachment and ignorance are like the three principal delusions and if we could just even reduce these a little bit we would reduce so much of the mental suffering that we experience however what happens is because we're so familiar with them, them to justify them, it's like, that's how I get my work done. That's how I change the world is through my anger. No, that's um, just what you're familiar with. And I guess what Mr. Singer is saying is like, have you ever developed, uh, taken the time to develop the familiarity with love or compassion or wisdom? Because you'll get an awful lot more done if you're doing it from a loving and compassionate heart or a wise mind than if you're getting caught up in these distorted ways of seeing things. So often we're justifying how we deal with the world through these um, these habits that we're so familiar with, as opposed to asking yourself, are they really getting me anywhere in the long run? Is there not a better way of being? And like for me, a lot of the time when I'm teaching, it's often a conversation with people about just how we improve our own lives, we improve the lives of others, and we improve our troubled world through basically just living with greater wisdom and compassion and how we get a lot more done that way. Like often when I'm, say, teaching like in a in an organization or a business or something, I'm teaching meditation, people will often say to me, you know, it's because I get stressed and anxious that I'm rallied into action to get these projects done. That's I need that anxiety and I need that stress to motivate me. And I always just say to them, so you ask yourself, which state of mind is going to get that work done and do quality work? An overwhelmed, stressed out, anxious mind or a calm, clear and positive mind. And so what people need to know is there is a choice. What we're basically doing is trying to justify the way we act 
independent upon what we're familiar with. But what we're familiar with isn't leading us to a better place and clearly isn't leading our world to a better place. All this anger and all this judgment and all this various different conflicts around the world coming from those habits of mind. One of the things I hope that comes out of this coronavirus situation is maybe we've hit pause. Maybe people are just thinking, are we really going down the right track here? Is this the best way to be for humanity? Or can we actually start to live with more compassion and wisdom? And if you have compassion, you're never overwhelmed by the suffering you see in the world. You're just motivated to do something about it. An angry mind can only face that adversity and that difficulty for so long before you start to lose it. Because that energy of anger just exhausts us eventually mentally and physically. Whereas compassion is always just focused on trying to create solutions to the suffering you see in the world. So, yeah, I get your point, Jim. I think you've got a, a good point. We're just justifying what we're familiar with instead of trying to ask what is the best way. Yeah, it's like a, a lot easier to uh, justify than rather do the internal work necessary. Exactly. Yeah. Because what the reason again, Jim, the reason for that, the reason why we don't want to do the internal work necessary is back to your point from earlier on. We're so deeply identified with this sense of self that lies beyond the line, so we're not really consciously aware of it. The sense of self that feels not good enough and inherently I can't change. And so the idea of doing all this work sounds absolutely exhausting. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to release myself from this inherently not good enough self that I really feel I am. And what Buddha said, it is no inherent self. There is no fixed self. And if you just look at it practically, how could there ever be a fixed you or me? We're constantly changing moment to moment. And what Buddha said is when you understand there's no fixed you, you start to understand you just simply are what you've been familiar with up until now. And you can become what you're familiar with moment to moment. So if we if we start to let go of being familiar with anger, attachment, ignorance, and feeling we're not good enough, we start to let go of that which you can in meditation, let go of that familiarity, and instead become familiar with wisdom, compassion, peace, happiness, then you just become that person because there's no fixed you anyway. So this is the problem we all have, is that we think the work I have to do is just huge. But it's not. It's only from the perspective that you're looking at it, deeply identified with this ordinary limited self, as opposed to seeing that self isn't who you are, and you just become who you are in dependence upon what you're familiar with. And meditation is just great in that familiarity. Do you have, um, like, I, I really agree, and I was talking to my friend John um, maybe two or three months ago about a similar topic in that the problem I feel, or for instance, let me rephrase it. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to pursue this, but then are surrounded by people that are be like, what do you mean? Uh, of course you love this, or you've always loved this. And no, that's you. You know, you like this football team, or no, you, you wear these these clothes, or you do this and you do that. Uh, do you have any advice for people that are that understand that they aren't fixed, but then are surrounded by people that want to continue or want to maintain this fixed identity? Yeah, so in the sense like this person wants to change, but the people around them say, no, that's not you, you're, you are yeah. this person. Yeah, Yeah. again, I mean, it's a good point, Jim, and I think we often get this, and I get, you know, people will come into classes first and they're saying, like, their families are saying, you know, do you really want to be doing that? That's not you, you're not into meditation, it's not your kind of thing. Um, the whole point, again, is it's only a problem for us 
if our family and our friends are challenging us, it's only a problem for us if we're still identified with this feeling of, for example, not being good enough, and we need them to to validate us to feel good enough. However, this work is about realizing that not good enough self isn't who you are, and just simply uh, beginning to become familiar with these inner qualities that we have, these innate qualities of love, compassion, and wisdom. And what happens over time is as you become that more genuinely loving, kind, compassionate person, those people that at first disagreed and thought that's not you, they actually quite love that because they like the fact that you're becoming that person who's more confident, more loving, more compassionate, more uh, attention to them. So I think generally in time, it's okay. But the main thing I think is to understand that a lot of the works that we do, for example, in meditation, we don't need to keep explaining it to people and expressing it because, again, that's kind of coming from this need to be accepted. Rather, quietly do the work in your own heart. Don't make a big fuss about it. And as you begin to change and you become more loving, they begin to love it because there's no one who doesn't love to be loved. (laughs) And so if we start to become that person more genuinely, people are much more uh, inspired, actually, by your example. So for me, I've often thought about it, you know, for the first few years of your meditation practice, just don't say too much to anybody <laughs> until, you <start> getting, <laughs> until you start getting confident that you just are living from that sense of pure potential. And then, of course, if they disagree with you, it's not that you disregard what they're saying or you disrespect what they're saying. It's just you simply acknowledge what they say, but it doesn't need to change what you're doing. Because all we're doing is really improving ourselves and being of more benefit to others and I don't think anybody has a problem with that in time I think sometimes you know sometimes we can get caught up in a bit of trip on meditation and we're kind of pretending to be peaceful and happy before we're actually peaceful and happy (laughs) you know you're sitting in the pub with your friends and they're all having the Mm. Guinness and you're just sitting there you know in half meditation (laughs) posture oh yeah I don't really do all of that anymore you know that's not me Again, that's that not good enough self having to present this image of now I'm meditative and cool, you know, because we just haven't done the work yet. So, yeah, you're dead right. Like if if you've if you've done the work, you don't need to do any sort of labeling or justifying. Yeah, yeah, and also your mind is focused on others. You're not focused on yourself. I mean, if yeah, you're genuinely developing qualities of compassion and love, you're just thinking, how can I be, you know, more helpful to my friends and stuff. You're not you're not thinking about yourself. Good point. Um, Adam, just to go back, you mentioned obviously we're in the midst of the coronavirus lockdown and mm-hmm. a lot of people are worrying, a lot of people are anxious about stuff, um, about the future, their near futures. Would you say, I, I remember re- uh, watching a yoga documentary and the woman explaining how she believes that the majority of our fears, if you trace them back, they can be traced back to the fear of death. Um, would you say that this is the most difficult aspect of your teaching to kind of transform how people view death from something so scary to just a natural process? Yeah, it's a good question, Jim. And I think uh, what this coronavirus situation is, is revealing is is the deep fear of death that people have. To the point now, it's like, you know, it's just not a word we use, is it? If you're If you're out with friends for a night, you don't bring up death. Because <laughs> you think God, you're going to bring no. everybody down. Yeah. The, the, thing, the thing within in Buddhist practices, one of the foundational meditations that you engage in every single day is this contemplation and heartfelt knowing that you develop or insight in your heart that I may die today. I may die today. 
So one of the consequences of being born is you're definitely going to die. So the one thing we're absolutely certain of, all of us, we very rarely think about. And the problem is that's why where our anxieties and our fears are all coming from. We're frightening the ine- we're sorry frightened of the inevitable. The inevitable is we're all going to die anyway. So like one way I describe it is when people talk about a fear of flying, you know, they think I've got this fear of flying, but you don't actually have a fear of flying. You actually have a fear of dying. Flying is just going up in a plane and coming back down. And what we're frightened of is we're going to come down a bit quicker than we went up. And that's what the real fear is. People are frightened of dying. However, what happens is if you really contemplate deeply in your heart that you may die today, then you're very at peace with that reality. You don't fear dying because you know it's an inevitability. So what people are so frightened of contemplating at the beginning is like this this concept or this idea that we're going to die. What people are so frightened about, when you really start to meditate on it deeply, it just liberates you from everything. You stop worrying about everything. You stop, like, for example, if I get into an argument with somebody today, I don't wait till tomorrow to resolve that argument or next week. Because I may die today, I'm going to resolve it now so that I can be at peace with my family, my friends, my partner, and so forth. Because if you really know that you may not be around till tomorrow, you stop worrying about all these things we're all worrying about. Like everybody's thinking about, I might get coronavirus in the future, but you might walk out across the road while you're social distancing today and get run over by a car. Mm. You may die today anyway. Now, if you really contemplate it very deeply in your heart, you start to feel alive for the first time. Because what you start to realize is I may only have today, so I might as well make the best if I can today. Because the truth is we may only have today. Nobody's guaranteed that you've got tomorrow. We say, well, it's the older people who are going to die from coronavirus. Yeah, but it's the younger people who are dying just crossing the road. Everyone is vulnerable to death. However, what people fear the most is the most liberating realization. Eventually, when you have it, you stop being worried about things. We're just worried about I can't be at peace and happy unless this thing happens in the future. When you realize you may not have a future anyway, you start worrying about it. <laughs> and so you can be at peace and happy right now, but just letting go of the worries. And so I think this is the challenge is you're right, Jim. A lot of our fear, and there are different manifestations of fear, but a lot of it is coming from I made a death, basically, the fear of death. And so when you realize, actually, you know, I might die today, you're at peace with that reality. And then you can just live your life one day at a time and just enjoy your life fully without this worry about the future. It doesn't mean you don't plan for the future. You definitely plan for the future. You just don't worry about it because you may die today, but you may not. <laughs> so it yeah. makes sense to plan for the future. You just stop worrying about the future. You know, I may to die today, but I may not. And if I do, there's no point in worrying about it. So I think that's the key. What often people fear the most, which is thinking and talking about death, is the most liberating realization you can attain. And it's quite a simple one because we're all going to die anyway. Anyway. So why are we worrying about it? Yeah. What comes to mind is uh, I remember the same documentary I was watching maybe 18 months ago was... uh, they the camera was over a man who was watching a fire burning and then as their narrator spoke he explained that this son was watching uh, his son's ashes being burned and actually how people weren't particularly like sad or upset it was more of a celebration and i remember at that time i just felt so uncomfortable because i have just grown up in this in this scenario where uh death funerals this is all terrible i need to be very 
like I just felt so tight. And then I remember over, like over the few days, like really thinking about it and interrogating it and kind of just becoming a little more free and then maybe realizing why uh, funerals are so terrible. And generally in Ireland or in my experience anyway, is because we don't talk about death and then death happens and then it's just catastrophic. You know, it's like we it's like we didn't see it coming. We didn't know this was a possibility. And uh, and that's where a lot of the, the pain comes around death. It's like, you know, somebody dies and you say, you know, I can't believe I can't. We say this all the time, don't we? I can't believe they died. I mean, they're 86. I can't believe they died. But yeah. it's, you know, this is what I'm saying is we say things like this. I remember I was teaching in Liverpool years ago and I was teaching, teaching on death. And I said to this lady, you know, we were talking about, um, I was teaching it in the class and she came up to me after and said, you know, I talked to my sister about that teaching and she said to me, she said, don't talk about that. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. And I just thought, <laughs> my goodness, but in reality, that's what we think. I mean, did either, of, did any of the three of us wake up this morning thinking I may die today? No, nope. this might be my last day, and that's what I mean. <laughs> no. Deep down in our hearts, we just don't realize that we may die today. And so, what happens, as you say, Jim, it's such a shock for people, so they don't want to think about it. The only thing is, we if we develop this understanding that we may die today, it really is so liberating. You stop worrying about all the things you're worrying about. You stop worrying about the future because it may not happen. It may, but it may not. You stop worrying about what people think about you today because you're thinking, what difference does it make? I might not be around tomorrow. You stop worrying about being not good enough because you think, who cares? I might not be here tomorrow. Um, and so what happens is we start to notice as we realize death more deeply in our heart, we actually find this freedom to just live, to feel fully alive. Like Buddy gave this analogy. It's like, I'll modernize it a little bit. It's like a backpacker who goes from city to city the city when they go to the next city and they you know they walk into the hotel room and they don't start getting obsessed about the color of the wallpaper or you know the carpet you know a lot mm. of people spend a lot of the time worrying about the color of their spare bedroom that nobody sleeps in whereas what buddha said is like if we were like that traveler and that's what we all are we're just travelers we're passing through this life we would be so much more relaxed about if i've got a nice home and i've got basics then i'm happy because I'm just passing through and it gives you so much more space. People obsess about accumulating so much stuff. Uh, you know, so many things they want to accumulate, like stamp collections and butterfly collections, whatever it is, holding on to all this stuff that eventually when you die, it's just going to get thrown in a bin. And so we spend our whole life obsessing about details like this when really we're just like that backpacker. We're just going from one life from a Buddhist point of view to the next life, to the next life, to the next life. And the thing is to make the most out of each life. And if this life is really brought down to today, then you really just live one day at a time. You just don't worry too much about tomorrow. Uh, Adam, just before we go, I was I wanted to ask you, are you familiar with the term spiritual bypass? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and have, have you, or could you explain it to people, at, uh, the listeners at home, and have you seen it in action? I certainly have, and... How do you think it can be countered? How to find the yeah. balance? So spiritual bypassing, as you know, Jim, is it's basically where 
So basically, we, we work with these spiritual practices to generate a degree of peace or bliss. And our whole focus is on just being peaceful and blissful, but we never really do the work of getting into our mind and unpacking all of those negative habits of mind, those limiting beliefs and so forth. So what happens is we're just focused on being as blissful as we possibly can, but not actually turning in and doing the work of unpacking all of this stuff in our mind that's causing us so much suffering and problems and causing problems for others. And so spiritual bypassing is like when you just kind of yeah, basically pretending everything's fine. I'm just blissful. I'm happy. I'm peaceful, happy, nothing to do, no work to do because I'm peaceful, happy. But what happens is eventually you're basically just repressing all that stuff. So it's basically unacknowledged, unacknowledged delusions, unacknowledged anger, greed and all of these self-centered views we're just not acknowledging it as we try to just bliss out as much as we possibly can on our spiritual practice the only problem is as you unacknowledge for example as you know unacknowledged anger is just simply repressed anger and what happens is if we're just training in that way unfortunately people think they're living a spiritual life and they're being peaceful and happy and then somebody says something that upsets them and they absolutely explode um, because they're not ready for that at all. They haven't done the hard work on their heart to, to become free of that. So this kind of training is about making sure that you access and, you know, you become deeply familiar with that peaceful potential within you and you become very familiar with it. But then from that vantage point, you then get to the work of unpacking all of these negative habits of mind or these unhelpful habits of mind so that you're actually purifying the mind, you're purifying the heart, you're detoxifying the mind of all of that negativity. So you're doing the deep work to uh, move beyond all of that. So then when somebody says something that would have previously upset you, you don't, you don't have all this repressed anger. You've just got this natural ability to accept and work with that without feeling overwhelmed. So one of the dangers nowadays is I think in our world, we're all just looking for that kind of spiritual bypassing approach. It's like, just just give me the practice that makes me feel blissful. That's what I want. I just want to feel the bliss. I just want to feel the peace. I don't want to actually do work on my mind. The only problem with that is, eventually, if you don't do that work on your mind, this bliss and peace will go out the window when you're challenged. And so you can often see at times like this, you know, coronavirus situation where your spiritual practice is at in your ability to accept and work with it. And often then that's when people start to realize, you know, I've been spiritually bypassing for years. And so one of the, the, the dangers of this is people, when I talk, say, for example, or when Buddha talked about Buddha nature, we have this gold within us, you know, this, this natural peace and goodness within our hearts, and we've just got this mud. What people just think is like, let's just focus on the gold. Don't worry about the mud. But if you don't worry about the mud, that will just, that will just cake on that gold. And then you'll basically be pretending to yourself that you're spiritually advanced when you're not yeah. really at all. So we want to avoid that. We definitely want to relate to our pure potential. That's the basis of this training. But then we have to be really honest with ourselves. There's a lot of rubbish in my mind. It's not inherently who I am, so I can learn to let it go. But I do need to do the work of letting it go. That's it. Because even I was talking to, uh, I was at like a meditation group a few weeks ago, and they mentioned how they went to this big convention Um in America and how that the people they met there who were who were apparently these experienced meditators and whatever uh, were like some of the rudest people that he's ever met yeah. and uh, he was kind of frustrated at the kind of uh, incongruence of it all you know I mean and I think that's the thing Jim is it's like it's difficult and if those people it's like you know 
eventually they just become profoundly discouraged because they're they're trying to live this spiritual life or they think they are but they haven't really done that inner work that's required on a daily basis you know in meditation this work isn't intense it's just you're sitting down and you're doing the work on your mind every day it's a job <laughs> and, and and so what happens is they miss that teaching that you really need to do the work on your mind if you're really going to advance spiritually and so forth and it's a journey i know for me it's a con- continuous journey every day i sit i'm still working on that stuff within my mind but over time you do start to see those tendencies begin to uh the power of them begin to weaken within your mind those negative tendencies and 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 then you you've always got to be really honest with yourself and not pretending I'm highly realized or even I'm enlightened. You know, sometimes I see that where people say, you know, they're talking about enlightened as if they're already enlightened, but enlightened and journey is it you know, you would never even post it on an Instagram post if you were enlightened. So <laughs> I think the danger is, Jim, is that it's like I do actually feel quite sad when I hear stories like that because what happens is those people like your friends who went to that convention are probably like thinking, is this the result of spiritual practice is this the result of meditation it really isn't it it really isn't it's just the result of someone who felt so deeply identified with their limitations that they never really got around to doing the work to look at them and let them go and often the reason for that is they haven't been trained in the vantage point you might saying earlier on of centering in a peaceful heart and your pure potential and from that perspective then you start doing the deeper work most people, what they do is they feel very deeply identified with these limiting beliefs. Of course, then when they look at them, they feel there's nothing I can do with them because this is me. So in meditation, you've got to spend quite a lot of time getting the setup right where you just start to get really familiar with this peaceful, pure potential in your heart. Um, and then from that peaceful, pure potential in your heart, you can start doing this deeper work of beginning to let go of these unhelpful tendencies and habits. Otherwise, what happens is you're trying to present this spiritual personality to the world, but you're feeling terrible about yourself because you've really know deep down you haven't actually done any of the work to to um to maintain a genuinely peaceful and happy mind. Mm-hmm. Uh- Adam, I think it's just a perfect way to leave it there because I mean, we, I think Jim and I could talk to you for the next five hours, but we are, um, <laughs> we're aware of the fact that maybe you, you can't. So, um, we <laughs> wanted just to finish it off with, how, is there any, obviously we're doing this in coronavirus and I know you were keen to really try to reach people out there who are mm. you know, stuck at home and they're, we're facing unprecedented times. I mean, none of us really could have prepared for this in a way. None of us saw this coming. And so is there any, th- any, um, I don't want to use the word practical but advice that you would give to people in this time whether they're a beginner um, in the meditation world or maybe slightly more advanced yeah i would say said that this this is the kind of thing and i'm sure you guys are very familiar with that we've been seeing in the media at the moment there's a lot of discussion around how we can uh, protect and support our physical well-being and um what there isn't so much discussion about although it's beginning to, to happen more and more what there isn't so much discussion about, and I was delighted that we had this podcast today because obviously we'd arranged this some time ago before the coronavirus, yeah. I think Jim contacted us. And so it's just perfect timing to, for people to kind of hear some of these ideas so they can work with this. But what we're not really hearing enough discussion about in the um, media at the moment is how do we protect and support our mental and emotional well-being, not just through this pandemic, but after the pandemic, when there's a lot of difficulty mm. coming our way. Um, and so what I would say, Seb, is, is a few things. One is that 
when when we feel like we really can't go out, there is an opportunity to start to learn how to go in, to learn a little bit of simple meditation every day. And what you'll discover is a lot of our worry at the moment about this coronavirus situation is thinking, I can't be at peace and happy as long as, or I can't be at peace and happy unless, I should say, I can't be at peace and happy unless this coronavirus situation goes away. I can't be at peace and happy unless the economic situation settles. I can't be at peace and happy unless they release the lockdown. So this is where our worrying thinking and then our anxious feelings are being generated from this kind of thinking. And what I would suggest people could do and prove to themselves to be true is if you just take a little bit of time to just engage in some simple breathing meditation, instead of focusing on those worrying thoughts, focus on your breath. What you'll find is your mind will settle. Those, those worrying thoughts and anxious feelings will settle like waves. And then what happens is as the mind settles, you start to feel this natural peace and contentment arise within your mind. And what you'll discover in time and what every meditator knows, any experienced meditator knows, is that peace and contentment that you're experiencing at that time is entirely natural to the mind. It's the very nature of consciousness. Consciousness nature is peace. Why is it we don't feel that normally? Because our mind is normally waving about all the time. It's like waves on an ocean constantly crashing around, worrying, anxiety, and so forth. But when you settle the mind, you start to access this natural peace and joy within your heart. And so then you start to realize, previously I thought I can't be at peace and happy unless this situation resolves itself. Now you realize I can be at peace and happy as long as I just settle my mind. I can access that natural source of peace and happiness within my heart. And now I've got the inner resources to begin to start to deal with this more constructively. And the other thing I'd try and encourage people to do is from that vantage point of an increasingly peaceful mind, even if you're just doing 10 to 15 minutes meditation a day, breathing meditation, from that you'll start to find that you're just naturally able to deal with this situation more because there's more space in your mind. There's more ability or more capacity in your mind to really accept this situation. Because as I said earlier on, this situation is definitely unusual. It's incredibly unusual. We've never experienced anything like this in over 100 years. This situation is unusual. However, it isn't abnormal. It is normal for suffering and problems to happen in the course of a life. It is entirely normal. Now, I know none of us really want to accept that. But if we could really just have that wisdom that suffering and problems are normal, even when it's on this scale, it's still normal. And it is happening, so there's no point in me rejecting it, denying it's happening. If we can really accept it's normal and it's happening, you can open your heart to just accept in this situation. And what I mean by mm. that is you just accept the unfolding reality in front of you and work with it to the best of your ability. But as soon as there's some acceptance in your heart, this is normal, it's happening, I accept it, your mind's at peace. There's some peace and yeah. flexibility in your mind to work with it. So I'd encourage yeah. people those two things, Seb. One, start to realize doing a bit of meditation will access a natural source of peace, contentment, happiness to be able to deal with all this. Two, just remember it is normal. It's unusual, but it's normal and it's happening. And therefore, just open your heart to accepting it. As soon as you accept it, you'll definitely feel some peace of mind and you'll have the flexibility to work with it. You're not accepting it should stay that way. You're just accepting it is that way in this moment. And now I'm going to try work with it moment to moment. Perfect. And thank you so much. And, and guys, for those of you who are listening, who said, right, 
that's great and all, but I have no idea how to meditate. Um, and you haven't downloaded some of the useful apps, Calm or Headspace, or something that's bring to mind. Um, Adam has very kindly agreed to do a short meditate guided meditation with us right now, um, which we will also we'll put on a, a separate clip so that if people want to listen to it on a daily basis and use this kind of guided meditation as their as their foundation, then you can. Um, so I'm just going to play uh, a little bit of uh, segment music, Adam, just so that maybe people who they're listening along can uh, maybe go to a quieter room or get get a bit prepared, and then we'll do the uh, guided meditation once this music is over. Is that okay? Sure, Seth. No problem. Great stuff. So, Adam, when you're free, take us through it. Sure. So, um, first, just find somewhere where you can sit and a chair is absolutely fine uh, with your back nice and straight but relaxed and both feet on the ground about hip width apart and just allow your hands to rest in your lap and then what we do next is we just gently uh, close our eyes Or if you're feeling a bit sleepy at the moment, or you prefer, you can just very slightly open your eyes to allow some light in. This will help your mind remain alert. However, just very slightly open, not completely open, just enough to allow some light in, or you can just gently close them. Again, checking your back is nice and straight, but relaxed. Soften through the shoulders, soften through the body. And just breathing naturally and gently through the nostrils. And now just give yourself permission to let go of the world out there just for now. Go of all your concerns of the day, all the problems out there in the world. Let it all go. So that you can relax into meditation. And just set the intention in your heart to use this time in meditation to improve your inner peace, happiness and good quality. So that will bring benefit to both yourself and others. You can gently move your awareness inward now, coming to rest at your heart center. Location of your root awareness at your heart. Which is the area around the center of your chest at the level of your heart. 
and allow your awareness at your heart to feel very open, spacious and relaxed. Just checking in with your mind, just seeing where your mind's at today, but without any judgment. So is my mind calm, clear, peaceful? Or is it a little busy, agitated, distracted? Just simply be aware without any judgment. Now to relax the mind, to center in a naturally peaceful heart, a peaceful mind. As you breathe out, fully and deeply relax, and just feel like you're breathing away whatever's on your mind. So any worries, feelings of stress, mental agitation, Whatever is bothering your mind, just feel it's all carried along in the breath as you gently breathe out, and it dissolves into space. Never to return. You may want to get in touch with something that's been bothering your mind this week. And as you breathe out, just feel all these thoughts and feelings that just carried on the breath and dissolve into space. And each gentle out breath. Now very gently bring your focus to the breath as it enters and leaves at the rim of your nostrils. And become aware of the subtle 
sensation of breath as it enters and leaves at the rim of your nostril. At the beginning, this sensation of breath will feel very slight. Just keep your focus there moment by moment and it'll become more and more apparent. Now you'll notice as you try to focus your attention on the breath, your mind just wanders away to thoughts and distractions. When this happens, most importantly, don't worry at all, it's entirely normal. All you need to do is when you notice your mind has wandered away from the breath, just remind yourself, relax and return to breath. Relax and return to breath. Each time in this way. And as you do that, you'll notice that the thoughts and distractions just dissolve by themselves. Like waves dissolving into an ocean. The ocean of your mind. So just keep coming back to breath. Each time. If you do that, you'll notice that the breath begins to fill your awareness, like all you're aware of is the breath. And you'll feel a deep sense of peace and contentment arise in your heart. Just keep relaxing and returning to the breath.
And just move your attention away from the breath and become aware of whatever experience of inner peace or peace of mind you're experiencing at the moment. Just relax into and enjoy that peace. No matter how slight, just simply enjoy. This peace is revealing our potential to change, to find a deeper peace, contentment, joy, in our own hearts. We can contemplate if I can be a little more peaceful, content and happy through a little meditation. Follows that I have the potential to be a lot more peaceful, content, and happy through continuous meditation. This peace revealing my inner potential for peace, contentment, and happiness. Finally, we just make a determination in our heart. Try our best throughout the day to maintain that calm, clear and peaceful mind. No matter what's happening. So that it naturally influences everything we think, say and do. So now we can just gently relax our concentration, slowly open our eyes and arise from meditation. So that simple breathing meditation anyone can practice and in the morning if you prefer and then what happens you carry that peace a little bit into your day if you find yourself getting a bit stressed or a bit overwhelmed or a bit agitated remind yourself relax and return to the breath as you're relaxing to return to the breath you'll access that natural peace within you again a basis of genuine happiness and so each day you're just kind of working that a little bit throughout the day when you start to feel a bit overwhelmed you come back to it so I hope that's helpful to everyone Perfect. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you and hopefully we can talk to you again soon. You too, guys. It was a real joy. Thank you very much. Lovely to meet you both.
Thanks so much. Thank you. It's Adam. It just, we've got a lot of listeners who are in Dublin. Um, thanks to Jim. Um, and you know, there'll be listeners, um, all from all over who want to maybe find out a bit more about you or a bit more about your practice. Is there any way where they can get in contact, websites, Twitter, so on? Yeah. Um, basically just go into our website, meditateinireland.com. Easy one to remember. Uh, and on there is, uh, the details of, uh, the center, myself, everything about what we do in Dublin. We run, uh, classes and courses in Dublin, Cork, Limerick, and Galway. At the moment, we're live streaming around the whole of Ireland every, uh, yeah, throughout the week. Um, so all the details are on there, Seb, and people can just go straight through there. And our social media pages are all, you can link through them through there. Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this as much as um, Jim and I have. And if you did, please like, rate and subscribe and pass on the pod to anyone who you think might have found this conversation of interest. And like we said, Adam, hopefully when this all passes over, we can get down to Dublin like we originally planned and and meet you in person and maybe do this again in person. Yeah, of course. Great. Talk soon. Bye bye.